Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning, New Song Family Church. It's very possible that uh, although you are awake and you are at church, we're probably still sleeping because we're still in the States. We recorded this earlier. And by the way, we're recording this outside, and so it's very possible that you're going to hear a train, which comes by our house all the time anyway. You would have heard it whether we were inside or outside, but it's going to be a bit louder if it comes by outside. You might hear children. You might hear some birds. You might hear a car come by, but we're just going to keep rolling because it's really nice out here this morning. So we're still in the book of Ephesians. Glad to be with you this morning. We can't wait to when we're going to see you face-to-face. Talking today about the issue of submission and what that looks like. Not and by yourself, you're not. I'm going to be here with him and make sure he tells it to you straight. We like each other and we love each other. And so we decided to do this together and thinking that possibly we can give each of our own personal perspectives in all of this. So we're in the States and uh, we've been up close and personal to all the politics and all the crazy things that are happening over this side of the world. And one of those things being uh, whether or not uh, ball players professional ball players are standing with the national anthem or kneeling to the national anthem. Now, you may have, if you followed this process over the last uh, months, you've seen that when, when people first started kneeling, uh, it was kind of the unpopular thing to do. It was kind of the controversial thing to do. And so there was a lot of pressure uh, to actually continue to stand. And so the, the peer pressure was more on uh, whether or not you stood for the national anthem or not. Well, now that... Uh, uh, sports have started again uh, here in the States. Uh, it just seems like everything has turned the other way. So now uh, the pressure is to kneel. Uh, and the pressure is actually not to stand. There's been a lot of ball players who now have, have a new issue they've had to deal with, whereas before it was easy to stand. Now it's, it's hard to stand. And uh, people are trying to make up their minds as to whether they should kneel or to stand. Now, I don't have an opinion either way on this. But there's been a lot of ball players who are followers of Jesus Christ who've been trying to figure out what's the best thing to do as a follower of Jesus. Should they kneel? Should they stand? And it's been very, very difficult. A lot of pressure on both sides. What do they do? What they have to do if they're a follower of Christ is they have to ask God what he thinks about it. And what God thinks about it is more important than anything else. It's one of those dilemmas they're facing is the, 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 that we face all the time as followers of Christ as to what are we going to do when push comes to shove, when there's a cultural push in our lives, when there's a, a family push, uh, a friend push, what are we going to do? Are we going to be followers of Christ in that moment and do what he says, whether it's controversial or not, or are we going to just bow into whatever our friends and family think is best for us? Uh, we see this in, in, in every aspect of our life, whether it's uh, should we attend uh, a wedding, whether or not we should um, travel to a certain place, whether or not it's to visit a friend for a meal. Little issues and big issues all come into this question of what we should do. Sometimes we feel enormous pressure from culture, enormous pressure from our family, enormous pressure from our friends. But over and over again, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit shows us a new way of living. So followers of Christ, as they mature, they begin to set up their lives around what pleases God instead of what necessarily satisfies cultural expectations, 
and what pleases their friends and family. They start doing what Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 10. This is what he says. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That's got to be our measure. We need to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So whatever decision you have to make in life, the question as we start following Jesus Christ is that now Jesus becomes the standard, and that standard is higher than anything else. So Ephesians 5 talks about one of those issues, which is drinking. Maybe you come from a drinking culture. So what do you do when everyone else is drinking? Do you drink? Paul says here in Ephesians 5, in the latter parts before our passage, he says that actually do not be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. So saying the measure now is instead of being drunk, be filled with the Spirit. So following Christ is a cultural change. Ephesians 5, the, the first few verses there, if, uh, 1 uh, through 20, are these passages that, that, that are the umbrella over our passages from today about submission. And so the question we're asking today is, in all things we're trying to address, is that whatever your situation is, the question you should be more concerned about is what God wants you to do in that moment. We are to imitate Christ by submitting to others so that we can lead people to Christ. Ephesians 5, the second part of Ephesians 5 and the first part of 6, um, is a letter written to followers of Jesus Christ. And so in that, you, you recognize that the culture was uh, of one, of one uh, line, and Paul is telling the Ephesians, but with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit indwelling in them now, then they need to have a different uh, choice. They need to make different choices. So as we look at this, uh, we're going to look at biblical perspective on marriage, biblical perspective on children, even biblical perspective uh, of how to relate with slaves and masters. We believe in marriage. We believe in children. We believe in family. We do not believe in uh, slavery. But this is being addressed at that time with the Ephesians. Paul tries to answer this question of how do followers of Christ operate in the reality of this is their culture, but now they are followers of Christ and, and they have been set apart now and they should be walking differently than everybody else in that area. And so we look at the very first verse that we're uh, studying today in, in Ephesians 5.21. It says, And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this starts, this passage, submission. Further submit to one another. Submission is a yielding. I, I uh, had a while in my life uh, that I didn't understand the word submit, and it would actually make me kind of flare. But I learned uh, what submission really means. It's a yielding. Like at a, a, when I come to a stop sign and I yield to the person that was there first, I don't run over them. Submitting is a decision that I get to make. No one takes it from me. I get to choose uh, to submit to one another. And so it, it is a submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. And so if we are submitting one to another... It actually should be really easy. You don't feel like anybody's putting anything upon you because somebody else is also submitting to you. Uh, submission is not being walked all over. Sometimes I think we look at it as a weakness, um, uh, as a way that people can be abused, but it's not that at all. In fact, I find submission a strength. 
because I'm choosing to set aside my desires, my will, for the sake of somebody else's. I'm choosing to put somebody else before me. A humbleness, which Christ talks about over and over again, humbling ourselves to each other. It's not the absence of having an opinion. If I am submitting uh, to somebody else, I still can have an opinion. I still can be an individual, but I humble myself, meaning I put somebody else before myself. Uh, It's not ever violating God's law, submitting to an authority or uh, whatever, another person, a friendship. Never do we violate what God has already told us to do. It does not condone sexual, physical abuse of any kind when we say submitting to one another. It's not allowing that to happen. And as uh, a person uh, involved with other people, I would not allow that to happen to somebody else, uh, that we would would make a stand there. Uh, God never asks us to disobey anything that he's told us to do. So when he says uh, that we need to submit to one another, It does not contradict anything else that he has said. It doesn't go past uh, his laws that he has established for us all. So again, like Brian was saying, again it is that um, humbling ourselves uh, in such a way that we are so set apart that people see us as followers of Christ in a different light. It would be in a light that people would say, I would like to have what, what you have. I would like to to know um, who you follow that creates this inside of you. So all of it is us pouring ourselves out for one another, emptying ourselves like Christ emptied himself for us, and uh, putting somebody's desires, life, uh, before our own. So marriage. Uh, It's interesting here. Paul talks about submission, and he gives three illustrations. Marriage. Uh, family, parents to children, children to parents, and then, uh, which I find a bit odd, uh, but it makes sense uh, in this day, he talks about slaves and slaves to masters, masters to slaves in that relationship. So we'll start with marriage. Marriage. Uh, Paul was writing to three different cultural groups, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews in this particular passage. Uh, The Greeks uh, married a woman to protect his belongings and raise his children. Uh, She stayed home and was not often seen. Uh, For friendship and for physical pleasure, uh, the husband would have other women. Uh, Socrates once said of the Greeks, he says, Is there anyone to whom you entrust more serious matters than to your wife? And is there anyone to whom you talk less? The Greeks were known for all forms of sexual immorality. Now, the Roman culture was a bit different. Uh, It was set up so that both men and women could very easily divorce each other. Uh, Very similar to our society today, actually. Uh, One one, uh, Roman Stoic philosopher said this. He said that women dated the years of their life by the names of their husbands. And so this is the kind of people he was writing to. And then he was also writing to the Jews. Uh, It was easy for a Jewish man to divorce his wife and almost impossible uh, for women to divorce their husbands. Uh, in the Jewish morning prayer, uh, he would give thanks to God that he was neither a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Women were treated with great disrespect, as though as though they were property. Uh, for the smallest of reasons, and with the authority in writing from a rabbi, and with two witnesses, he could divorce his wife. Uh, she would then have to pay back the entire dowry. Paul was writing to people who did not hold marriage sacred in any way. The question that I think Paul wants us to ask 
as we consider our marriages is this. How does your marriage lead others to the cross of Christ? How does your marriage uh, influence uh, people to find salvation in Christ? Regardless of the reality of your marriage and your situation, how are you in that relationship showing the love of Christ? So, you know, where I just said the verse 21, I feel like that's the overarching verse uh, for what we're talking about, that we submit to one another. And then it says in verse 22, for wives, this means, so that how we submit to one another, for wives, this means submit to your, your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your, your husbands in everything. So when we look at uh, submission as a wife, it's an interesting concept. It doesn't mean that I am saying I'm less than Brian. It, we are still joint heirs. There's too many other passages uh, in the Bible that tell us that we are joint heirs in Jesus Christ. We are seen as equals before our Heavenly Father. So putting an authority there shouldn't really upset us because we have authorities in every part of our life. When we think about everything we do, when I go out on the road to drive, an authority would be a police officer. So I'm putting myself under that kind of authority. We move ourselves in and out when we go to work. We have an authority there. Or maybe we're the authority at that place. Uh, I talk to my children. I have a son that's an accountant. He has a voice of reason for me with finances. And I can put myself under that authority. I have sons that are pastors, and so when I walk into their church, they are the authority of that church. I have, um, you know, just different roles of, of children. I have a daughter that is so high um, in knowledge of the educational system and for uh, learning disabled people. I love speaking to her because she's an authority on that. So if I need to know that, I would submit myself there. So when we look at a wife submitting to a husband, it's just God has set that parameter of a, an order of authority, leadership, role, and then we come down like that. So it's just not chaos in a family. I don't find that it is a difficult thing to do because I know that my opinion matters. I know that I am unique. I know that uh, God has created me uh, the way he's created me with my uh, personality. I know that my husband has married me with this, for this personality. And so when you think about uh, submitting to your husband, I don't feel like that it's a difficult thing to do. It's a yielding of myself to my husband. It is also still saying my opinion. Just today, we came out of a restaurant. Brian started walking one way and I started walking the other. Now, it would be silly if I started following Brian because our car really was the direction I was going. And I asked Brian, are you going to the car? And he says, well, I was trying to, but it wasn't the way he was going. That would be goofy if I just followed him out into the middle of a parking lot that didn't get to our car. So me having opinion, uh, ideas, that's so much a part of marriage. It's a good, healthy part of marriage. If we, uh, I feel like just, with him, it's a spiritual leadership that God has placed on him. I find that uh, I can give it. It's never taken from me. 
when I submit to my husband as a spiritual leader, I'm giving this. I don't submit to all men. I think that's something we need to understand very clearly. It's not women submitting to all men. We're submitting to our husband in this role is what it's talking about there. And so we look at First um, Peter 3. Uh, starting with verse 1, it says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words from the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. This, uh, this shouldn't be something that uh, we feel like it's, that we begrudgingly give. It should be with joy. What if our behavior brought people to Christ. And that is the bottom line. That's what we keep talking about is our submitting to one another. If I submit to my husband, if I have joy in my marriage and feel like I'm, I can become who God created me to be in this marriage, then it is an example to other people. It would be an example to a husband who doesn't know, to, who does not know our Heavenly Father. I don't think, um, I don't think our world uh, likes to talk about this because, you know, we are, are women who are uh, gaining independence. We are gaining uh, acknowledgement in the world, uh, in the work world, just in the world in general. So uh, a term like submission sounds like we've gone backwards. But I feel like in a marriage, it gives us freedom. It makes the marriage easy. It, uh, and as we submit to one another, but ultimately if we were in a situation um, where we needed to have a final decision, then I released that um, situation over to Brian, to my husband, and he has that responsibility of finding out what God wants us to do. It Again, it is not um, putting up with abuse. It is not uh, being run over. It's not uh, me losing myself and my individuality. I feel like in a, a marriage where we submit in everything that scripture says in everything that's kind of a, a huge word there when we say in everything but I don't find it difficult because I love I love Jesus and so when I give myself to Jesus more and more it's easy for me to give myself to other people because I'm submitting my will to Christ's will Christ's will is that I submit my will to my husband and so it shouldn't be something that makes you flare it shouldn't be something that uh, abuses you. I believe it's something that actually makes us feel like we're coming into our own because we have a protection of a man who loves us and a man that's seeking our Heavenly Father for guidance. And so we have freedom to just grow and be who God created us to be. Yeah, so uh, under the banner of Ephesians 5.21, which is submit one to another, uh, this is the context where Paul tries to describe this out. So women, uh, submit to your husbands. But then uh, just think, uh, for don't think for a moment, men, that uh, you're left out of this. And this descriptive, matter of fact, the description for men here is actually a little more involved, honestly, than it is for women. I mean, this is a detailed description of how men should submit to their wives. It's mutual submission. Ephesians 5, verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. So our model here is is not how the Greeks would do it, 
Uh, so I'm not supposed to love my wife the way the Greeks loved or didn't love their wives or, or how the Romans actually just easily disposed of each other. I'm also not supposed to love my wife as though she was some property and uh, I was the only one who was making decisions like the Jews did. But the goal here is that we love, we love our wives just like Jesus loved the church. Ephesians 5 verse 25, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Man, I don't know a single man that doesn't love his body. So if you're loving your wife like you love yourself, you're going to be doing things right. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body. That's what Paul said. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are all members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, men, we are being asked uh, in our submission to actually treat our wives the way we would want to be treated. Wow, that's huge. So in the way that you respect your wife and the way that you love your wife is the same way that you want to be respected in the same way that you want to be loved. Loving and cherishing women, uh, uh, that commandment here in, in Ephesians 5 is really uh, put there, I think, because that's probably what men struggle with the most is loving and cherishing. Uh, you can see here in the context earlier on, it says that women should respect their husbands. Probably the area they, they struggle with the most is in the area of respect. They love well. Sometimes they struggle with respect. But men and women, husbands and wife, want to be loved, cherished, and they also want to be respected. My wife wants to be just as respected as I want to be respected. She wants to be loved like I want to be loved. So we're being asked here to actually mutually submit to one another. Uh, in the case of the husbands, man, the example is that Christ, the way Christ gave his life, his very life for the church, we need to be doing that for our wives. And so then marriage becomes this picture of uh, Jesus giving his life for us for salvation. This is incredible. So this kind of incredible love, of complete selfless love, sacrificial love uh, for the sake of his wife. A, a lot of marriages, and you've, you've seen these because you uh, you were born into a family of some sort, whether functional or dysfunctional. You've seen good marriages and you've seen bad marriages. And you've seen people who actually truly cherished and loved and respected their spouses. And you've seen those who did not. Uh, our example is not these failed families, these failed marriages. Our example is Christ. This is a radical change here Paul's talking about here. He says, don't keep behaving like, like the Romans did or the Greeks did or the Jews. Love in the way that Christ asked you to love in marriage. This is, would, would have been a radical thought uh, that people were hearing in that day, that in Christ, this new identity that we have in him, uh, again, shows us how to operate in a different way. It's that same question he said in Ephesians 5.10. He says, we need to really try to figure out what would please the Lord instead of what would please ourselves or, or please our culture or our family. God is asking us to, to be different so that we can actually show the picture of Christ and his love for creation. Uh, how beautifully Jesus loved the church. Um, and, and, and this is not uh, what a man, a man can't save his wife, but he can demonstrate this, the saving power of his Jesus uh, by the way he loves his wife. Uh, marriage is a sacred mystery. 
It's incredible. It's this amazing God idea so that people could actually see uh, properly how God loves us. And so the world could look at our marriage. The hope is, is that my hope is for me and Dana is that people could look at us in our marriage and say, oh man, I want something like that. Uh, why are they different? Why do they get along? What is it about them uh, that's different? I like that. And hopefully they could look at our marriage and look at us and not be frustrated by the way we don't relate, but they would be so moved by how we relate to each other that they would want to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's the idea. Uh, a man's love for his wife, it needs to be sacrificial love. It needs to be purifying love. Um, I love what one, what one commentator said, William Barclay says this, any love which drags a person down is false. Any love which uh, coerces uh, instead of refining uh, is, uh, is, 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 is a lie. Uh, anything that weakens moral fiber is not love. Real love is the great purifier of life. So uh, God asks us to, to live in such a way uh, in, our, in our relationships with each other in marriage that we would be incredible examples of Christ's love to the world. Well, and I want to add <clears throat> what it says to men, for men to love their wives and for women to respect their husbands. And, and I want to add on what Brian was saying there. Uh, you know, we do find as women so easy to love. But I will see women who I know fiercely love their husbands, but they talk trash about them all over town. And, you know, my husband didn't do this, and I had to do this with the kids. And just that yeah, yeah, that uh, we women can get ourselves into so quickly. That's not respectful. And uh, respecting our husbands, besides loving them, is the commandment that God has given us as women that, uh, that we treat them with honor and that because God has placed them in this position. So I think that's really important that we take a look at ourselves as wives. How do we speak about our husbands? How do we react to them? How do we react to their decisions that they're making? Um, how they spend money. We can discuss money, but how do I react to that? And uh, I, have a, I have input into everything, but how do I react to what he's doing? And how am I respecting him as we go about that? And then in Ephesians 6, <clears throat> it says, Children obey, <coughs> excuse me, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is right, the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Children uh, are being told, as children, as younger children, um, to obey their parents. This is something that they're supposed to be doing. Again, submitting their will. I think obedience is... Um, I think it's given. I've watched children who really choose to be disobedient. And uh, Brian and I work with teenagers and have for so many years. And very often I have thanked my own children for giving us the right to uh, be their authority, to that they choose to, to go underneath our rules. And I feel like that's a, a Christ-like child, the one that puts themselves under the authority of their parents and obeys even if they don't agree. And uh, again, it's, we're not talking abuse. We're not talking about destroying children. But children who um, listen to their parents and do what they say. Brian and I have seen youth who have led their parents to Jesus by the way that they behave with their parents. That their behavior changed so much 
that these parents have come to know the Lord because of their children's behavior of honoring them, respecting them, obeying their rules. Uh, to honor your parents as we start getting older, so of course children honor their parents too, again, with, our, with the way we talk about them, with the way we treat them. But as adults, we continue to honor our parents in the way that we treat them respectfully, loving them. Now, Brian and I no longer obey our parents, but we definitely honor our parents and enjoy being with them, celebrate who they are. Uh, we, we really love being with our parents in a way of honor our parents and, and putting them before ourselves and uh, just showing them that we respect who they are, we respect that God has given them to us as parents. And so honoring our parents comes with the promise that it will go well with us. I think that that's one of the few, uh, few of the Ten Commandments that comes with that big promise of this will go well with you if you honor your parents and treat them the way that God has told you to treat your parents. Obedience for children, uh, I want to stress this, it also gives you freedom. The more you obey, the bigger your life gets to come. I always find that children are surprised um, when we say that, but a disobedient child starts having a very small world because the parents have to lock down their world because they can't be trusted. But an obedient child, a child that respects their parents' rules, their world grows and grows and grows because they can be trusted. So a child that obeys the rules of the family, he has so much more freedom. Paul speaks to this idea of, of fathers uh, not making their children angry. I think he's speaking to abuse here. I think he's saying don't abuse your children. Uh, don't provoke uh, your children to anger in the way you treat them. And, and the issue is here. I think uh, the issue is that uh, fathers and, uh, and I, you can make a case also for mothers here as well, but giving expectations to children without actually uh, correcting them when they make a mistake in a loving way. So it's, it's expectations without any kind of correction or instruction. This verse 4 here says, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So teach them uh, the ways of God and correct them when they step outside of that, but carefully, patiently uh, instruct them in the way that they should go. So one of the most frustrating things for me, I know as when I was a kid, uh, was to be uh, expected to do something without any kind of direction of how to do that thing. And uh, I can remember, uh, this didn't happen to me often, but there were times when, when my parents would give me something that they needed me to do uh, and without actually showing me how to do it. And this would create great frustration with me. Uh, it's that frustration is, I know you want me to do this, but I don't know how to do it. And so I'm pretty sure that I'm going to fail. I'm pretty much feeling at that moment that I'm pretty much set up to be disciplined and punished later because I didn't do it, even though I didn't know how to do it. Now, I have amazing parents, and this didn't happen often. Matter of fact, it, it happened actually very rarely. But we can anger our children by putting expectations on them without actually helping them uh, do it, uh, showing them how to do it, giving them boundaries and corrections so that they can actually be successful at the things that we're asking them to do. When we, we pound our kids with expectations, without any instruction, uh, without any uh, correction, then uh, our children could become very, very angry, and like we would. If anyone asked us to do something that we knew we couldn't do, but that we were going to be held accountable for doing it, whether we knew how to do it or not, it creates frustration. We need to figure out how to enable our kids, instead of giving them expectations, 
without help. And in this way, we don't provoke our children. We actually speak the truth in love and we walk with them, help them. Uh, where their family as they're learning how to be adults and how they're learning to live. Uh, one of the questions that I think Paul wants us to ask here is this, how does my parenting uh, and how, uh, how is my being a child, uh, how do I lead, if I'm a child, how do I lead my, my family and others to Jesus by my behavior? If I'm a parent, uh, how in my behavior am I showing the love of Christ and moving people uh, to Christ? So regardless of what family you find yourself in, how are you operating and are you asking the question how is my behavior leading someone uh to find salvation in jesus christ how does my male behavior or female lead, male or female i know it addresses the men here but i feel like when we as women in our parenting also need to to put ourselves before christ and say am i doing this correctly and some of us come from really difficult dysfunctional families i mean and that was true also in in paul's day uh, that he was d addressing families that weren't necessarily functioning properly as they should. But the reality that, uh, that I find myself, if I'm a child or if I'm a parent, that family that I'm part of, the question needs to be, what would Jesus have me do in this situation? That's what he's asking us to do. And, and as we submit to one to another, we show, we humbly show the love of Christ. So as a child submits to his parents, he shows the love of Christ. Uh, as a father uh, submits to his children and to his wife, he shows this love of Christ. We demonstrate this humility uh, of Christ emptying himself so that we could be full of him and we could have life. And then he moves into this very difficult topic of slaves to masters. Now, a lot of people who are atheists love this passage because they like to make a case that actually the Bible promotes slavery. And therefore, how could this be true? What kind of a God would do that? This is not at all, absolutely not at all what the passage is saying. Again, it's Paul saying, Whatever situation you find yourselves in, how are you showing the love of Christ? Let me read this to you. Slaves to masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. So the, the goal here is, is to sincerely serve them as you would serve Jesus. Jesus becoming our standard. Not slavery or not our masters. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. And just in case you're wondering if Paul is making a case for slavery, he's not. You see this uh, in other passages. 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about that... Uh, he says, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Uh, verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 7, he says, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. Then he says this, but if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Galatians 3 talks about that when we come to Christ, that we are no longer Jew or Gentile, we are no longer slave or free, we are no longer male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that we belong to Christ, we are true children of Abraham. So what he's saying is, guys, look, whatever situation you find yourself in, what overarches everything is that we are children of God. And that trumps everything. We see this played out in Paul's life where he's uh, put in prison. He's in prison, and he's telling people, listen, don't be ashamed that I'm in prison. 
I'm here because God put me here. And I'm being able to, to share the gospel. Many people have come to faith because I'm in prison. Wow. Different perspective, right? A radical different way of thinking. Instead of, I'm in prison. Uh, this is horrible. How dare they? No, no, no. Thank you, Jesus, that I've been placed there very specifically so that I could follow a higher calling. If you're a slave, and not that in any way God supports slavery. And not in any way is the Bible pushing and supporting slavery. What he's saying is you find yourself a slave, then live for Christ. Understand that actually they don't own you, that you are free, but you belong to Jesus Christ. And the question they're asking themselves is this, what would I do? What would you do? What would you do, regardless of your situation, to be a witness for Christ over everything else? There are examples of this uh, through history of people who actually were willing to give their lives uh, in different ways. There's a great story that took place in the 1700s. Uh, two missionaries, Johann Leonard Dober and David Nishman, uh, who both uh, were young Bereavian brethren from Germany. And they wanted to go to uh, uh, St. Thomas and St. Croix in the, in the Danish West Indies to actually be witnesses. And these were all islands that were covered with slaves. Uh, so slaves were used there, uh, hard labor, uh, African slaves. And they wanted to go and share the gospel for them. And their idea was that uh, to become slaves themselves. And so their original idea was actually to sell themselves into slavery so that they could be a slave with the other slaves there and then actually uh, share, be able to share the gospel in the slave community. Their heart was that the slaves would actually discover freedom in Christ. They were not allowed to do this, although they tried, they appealed, they tried very hard to do this and to accomplish this. But when all was said and done, they were allowed to go there and they worked as carpenters and shared the gospel with the slaves. Uh, ultimately, uh, over a period of time, uh, history records that there were over 13,000 uh, converts and people who were baptized uh, f uh, out of those slaves because of their willingness to sacrifice it all uh, so that uh, people could come to faith. I love how this works. The question we have to ask ourselves is how do we keep living for Christ regardless of our circumstance? That's the greater issue here. Uh, not our current suffering, but God's perspective in all of this. Well, we just to close us out, uh, one of my favorite passages uh, just says the same thing again. In Colossians 3, uh, 18 through uh, 23, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them <clears throat> all the time. Do uh, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. I love this verse because I feel like it sums up our entire life as believers in Christ. That we, uh, whatever we're doing, work willingly as for the Lord and not for anybody else. I can do things for Jesus that I probably couldn't do for another person. That you could say, I'd say, I'm not going to do that. And if you ask me, but Dana, would you do it for Jesus? And I'd say, yeah, I will. And so if I can keep that perspective, very often I find it is uh, something that I might otherwise would 
would feel like it was difficult uh, to humble myself, to submit myself to something or to serve someone, if I say, this is for you, Jesus, it makes it so easy for me to do that because he is the one I'm living for. He's the one I'm submitting to ultimately. When I submit to my husband, when I submit to other people that come into my life, when I humble myself and serve other people, it is unto the Lord, it is to Jesus that I do all these things. And I find with that that I can say, for the sake of Christ, it is so worth it. That what if, that by our behavior, as we submit to different people, to our spouses, to our uh, parents, uh, to people we work for, as we submit to uh, different aspects of, of life there, to the different people in our lives, what if it would bring somebody to a place that they would say, I want the Jesus that you serve. So this is what this study is about. As we uh, are unified in Christ, we submit to one another so other people will come to know him. It's been great to be with you today. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us with the bugs flying around our head and the truck that just passed by and uh, uh, all the other distractive noises. <clears throat> but hey, we're here to serve Jesus Christ and we're inviting you this morning uh, to do the same. I'm telling you, the life that he invites us to is greater than any situation that you might find yourself in. Whether it's a, a good marriage, a bad marriage, uh, a good family, a bad family. Maybe you're in a, a restrictive place that feels like you're a slave. Or possibly you're over people uh, that you treat as though they are slaves. Whatever your situation is, God asks us to radically change our lives and to say, hey, what would Jesus want me to do in this situation? That would be possibly radically different than the way you are working. God is asking you to humble yourself, submit to each other, and figure out a way to be imitators of Christ, to be what Jesus would be in that situation. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.